you see a door ahead of you. You open the door, walk down the stairs. When you look around, you see a room covered in Nintendo paraphernalia. Roll initiative. What did you get? Yahtzee! <sighs> Give me a break. Welcome to episode seven of the signs, cosines, and tangents. Tangents, tangents. tangents. What, what, what are we doing? Uh, Have we done this before? Six times. Well, at least, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it. this is officially the seventh episode. We, we've had a few, you know, tests and other things that we've done over time. But welcome to the episode. What are we talking about? Uh, we've got a few tangents this week, and then we're going to talk. Um, role-playing games uh specifically tabletop role-playing games yeah offline is the word you use yes. meaning there's no internet connection except we're or also going to talk about screen. playing offline games online which is really confusing yeah thanks you're just muddling the narrative <laughs> all right let's let's fly right into the tangents um so first up uh, we have some news that i put in here which is the judge dread tv series was announced this week um are you are you a fan of judge dread jared you know what? I liked, well, I didn't like, I tolerate the original Judge Dredd movie. The Sylvester Stallone, Stallone movie with Rob Schneider in it? Yeah. Um, I never, I've never read any, uh, any of the comics. Okay. Dredd, the movie that came out, what, four or five years ago? Yeah. I've heard great things. Still haven't seen oh, it. Oh, it's, it's a wonderful film. So. It's, it's, it's fun for all the family. Everybody will love it. You should it's, it's definitely fun show for the whole kids. family. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's very kid friendly. Hmm. Uh, no, no, it's not. Don't don't show that movie. So to your kids. they're going to make a TV series because it was rumored they were going to make a sequel to Dread. So they've been trying to drum up enough. I mean, Dread did okay for an independent film and kind of a low budget action movie, but it's very gory. It's very you know, it, it's actually fitting to the topic, the subject matter of the Judge Dread comic comics. Um, but it didn't have big market pull. So a bunch of fans like myself are like, hey, we want to see more. We, we liked it. The treatment they did was much better than the Sylvester Stallone version. Uh, it was gritty and violent and introduced some elements of the, the setting that uh, the other movie couldn't even touch. Um, but uh, it didn't do well enough to, to really rate a, a sequel. So the fact that there's somebody interested in making a television series. And, and what we know about the television series at this point is very limited. It's like everything else, right? So people announce stuff before there's anything to really show. Do we even know the network it's going to air on? There is no network attached. That's so, a challenge. I mean, that really is going to define how the series is going to be. Yeah, it it will. Um, freeform. <laughs> no, I, I really doubt it's going to be freeform. Actually, this is the type of thing I would expect to see on Stars. Or Showtime or HBO. Yeah. Um, we know it's not going to be HBO. I mean, it's unlikely to be HBO. They have enough of their adult programming that they probably don't need to borrow from this character or pay these licensing fees. And it's not big enough to rival like Game of Thrones. But the the show currently is called Judge Dredd Mega City 1. Yep. And the thing about Judge Dredd is it's this post-apocalyptic universe where everything's pretty much gone to 
you know, pot. And uh, you've got these lawbringers who are judge, jury, and executioner driving around and trying to... All in one. Yes. They have the ability to do sentencing, everything. And then they usually have pretty... Um, how do we put this? Harsh? Harsh sentences. Yes. They usually shoot you or yeah. kill you uh, if you do bad things like jaywalk. Um, anyway, so this is a universe that I've had a lot of fun reading about over the years. There's been a number of board games. There's some role-playing games. There's obviously the two movies that you've heard of. Uh, Judge Dredd as a universe is, is typically kind of British comic book. And so it came out of Great Britain. But uh, it's it's definitely not your typical American fare. And it's a little bit more adult and a, a little, little bit satirical. Not entirely. Oh, it's but yeah. it's greatly satirical. Yeah. There's a lot of politics that they satirize in that. So, and it's ultra mega violent. So that's another thing that was going on in in British comics in the late '70s was the ultra violence movement. Um, it took until the '90s until we got the anti hero movement here in in the United States. But they were doing that a long time before in Great Britain. So I'm on the lookout for that. We'll, we'll update you if we hear any more. Um, it's just one of my favorite things. Yeah. I'll be excited to see if they actually uh, hold up to being ultra violent and uh, worthy of doing a TV series. Yeah, exactly. All right, moving on. I know you're going to love this next <laughs> part, Jared. Next on our tangents, we're going to do a micro review of Subnautica. Yes. I finally got to play it over the past week. I played about three hours into it. Um, and Sean's just giving me a look. Uh, I can see what they're going for. Now, keep in mind, this is a game that's in... Uh, is it even alpha or beta? It's in early access. It's in early access. So and it's, it's actually not, supposed to be out this summer. It's not a finished product. And, it, and if they finish it based on what I've seen... Uh, mm. So... Let's talk about the, the yeah. plot or the, the gameplay. Okay. So you're on a starship. The starship uh, crashes into a remote ocean planet. Um, and you're the only one sort of left in a little capsule pod. Mm-hmm. And you kind of wake up and come to in this capsule pod while it's on fire. Um, eventually, you kind of get things under control. And you're in an ocean. You just jump off your pod and go into the ocean looking for resources and looking for things to build and make your life better. So it's a survival game. It is absolutely a survival game. And in common survival, yeah. yeah, there's lots of grafting and they basically don't give you any kind of guidance, right? No, there's, there's no guidance. Um, I mean, you can kind of have an idea of what you can build from mm-hmm. the crafting table, so to speak. You have an idea of what you can do. Um, but in terms of how to find the things, what you need, it doesn't tell you, you kind of have to experiment and stab things or go hand built, uh, hillbilly hand fishing for a while, (laughs) um, to get food and resources. Um, and on, on the Xbox one or what I call the X bone, uh, and Sean has assured me this isn't on the PC, but the performance issues are great. It would lock up and stutter several times. The yep. frame rate was well below 30 most of the time. Um, and there'd be periods where the screen would just freeze, even though gameplay was still going on. So that's just my experience, but and I understand it's better on the PC, but um, not my cup of tea. Okay. 
And Sean did tell me, and he can elaborate, is if you invest the time longer, and like any survival game, there's that hump where things are difficult for a while, and then once you kind of get the mechanics and go further, the difficulty spike kind of goes down. And he said once you go out a little bit further, you start unraveling some mysteries of the world um, and ancient civilization. Yep. Um, I didn't get that far, and I don't know if I wanted to get that far. So I had a similar experience when I first started playing. Um, This would have been on the PC, not on the Xbox. And earlier releases of the PC had some bugs, much like what you're seeing on the Xbox, where uh, gameplay would kind of lag and and there would be visual stutter. And and, and really, it's gotten better in, in both platforms in that they've done a lot of work on the user interface. And they've done a little bit more to help guide you to what you need to do by telling you the components. The challenge that I have seen with this game, and again, I think this is a idiosyncrasy of the, the genre, so to speak, right now, is you've got two kind of schools of thoughts on survival games. You drop somebody in an environment, you give them a basic quest to survive, and then you see what they do is one way of doing it. The other way is a more guided kind of educational approach. Um, I think of all of the recent survival games that I've played, um, and I'll even go back as far as, you know, Starbound and Terraria and uh, Minecraft, which people can debate how survivalish right. those are. Um, I think that one thing that Subnautica really does is it's beautiful. First off, the, the ocean setting is different than anything else. It's different. Um, and maybe the graphic fidelity on PC is a little more, but I felt it was very samey. Okay. Um, yeah, there, it was beautiful at night when the sun goes down, the beauty sort of unfolds a little more. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of geographical, geographical diversity, trying to figure out where you are based on the types of things. Exactly. Yep. It, it was very seeming. So if you play for a while, you learn the landmarks. There are definitely landmarks in the game. And unfortunately, for from my perspective, what I would like to have seen something a little bit closer to the No Man's Sky kind of randomized um, approach. These are fixed maps, so and that's fine. I I think a fixed map is good for a survival game. Yeah, is you have that handcraft. We talked about this in a previous episode, but just sort of that handcrafted map mm-hmm. um, where it doesn't feel. But at the same time, part of being able to handcraft that map is to make sure that it is diverse. You have those landmarks. You have those very distinct areas that feel like they're so part of the world. Did you play in survival mode, or did you play in what I'd call easy mode? No, I played in survival mode. So you were constantly trying to get air. You're yep. constantly trying to get food and water. Yeah, and food wasn't so hard as much as water was. It took me a while to find out, oh, I need to build a knife, and then I need to scavenge coral to make bleach for <laughs> water. Yeah. There, um, there's some chemistry problems with, and I game. died a couple times. The and then dying in the survival mode I was was pretty forgiving. It wasn't permadeath, right? Um, and I was telling Sean, I honestly would have rather been playing No Man's Sky. And I would challenge that he hasn't played No Man's Sky recently because it's kind of no. I've played it since the updates. Oh, you played I it since all the, the updates compared to you. all the new yeah planets and all the other new stuff that they added. Yeah. Okay. Well, and in that way, I think they're very similar. So the base building and the machine building, and you've got ships and vehicles, yeah. and 
And and I, I know you didn't get that far in Subnautica, but you actually can build tools that make you swim farther and faster. You build more air tanks. Yeah, I, built, I built air tanks. I built flippers. I saw some of the building tree for the other items. But I was also like, I don't care. Well, I mean, and the it, reason it, that you do it, again, you, you have this risk versus reward early on. Right where I need that copper, but it's a little bit too low, and I may or may not be able to get back to the surface without dying. And, and the thing is, the actual gameplay, the swimming and the attacking, like those are the things you're going to be doing very often. Yep. Those weren't fun to me. It, the swimming wasn't like swimming in like um, uh, Majora's Mask, when you can become the Zora Majora's mm-hmm. Mask. It's one of the best swimming because you can dive and dash, and it's very fluid and very you're very maneuverable in the water. So you're saying it's not Echo the Dolphin? It is. He the character you play is not Echo the Dolphin. <laughs> Just to go old school aquatic game. Yeah. Um. So at this point, you're saying you probably won't revisit it. I, I'll wait and to see if they update it on Xbox or Xbone. Mm-hmm. Um. I don't think I'll. I'll probably be played a little more, but again, with other games like Minecraft and the the repetitive gameplay to me needs to be fun right and i would say flying in no man's sky is more fun than that and that's on a rail with very little control exactly interesting okay well so so jared's actually played something other than breath of the wild now and i've actually played a couple more games but we're going to lead those into next week's episode which we'll surprise you with but uh we're, we're going to bypass those this week and talk about them next week. Yeah, the most surprising part of that is that we've actually already planned out next week's episode. It's like we know what we're doing. <laughs> um, Next, Sean, I hear through the grapevine, I've read recently that the Mass Effect series is on hold now. So there's a lot of press this week about some restructuring going on at Electronic Arts and Bioware, and specifically some shifting of bodies off of the um, team that built Mass Effect Andromeda onto other teams to help with other EA projects and Bioware projects. And so this is like every other industry rumor. Um, At the end of a project, they tend to reshuffle resources as the next project is spinning up or it's getting to the point where it's about to go public. So this is not unusual the, the big thing that's come out of this, I think, is that a lot of the gaming press really didn't like Andromeda. So when these kinds of moves happen with a game that people apparently didn't like, it looks like, oh, it's the end of the world. Yeah, I think they use this as, as in their narrative of like, oh my gosh, Mass Effect Andromeda wasn't very good. On, and and uh, Bioware knows that they're making the changes. And it's not, it's not that at all. So... We've talked about Andromeda at length, and I've had more time to play. And I still haven't finished it because I just haven't had that much time. But one of the things I will say about this is Andromeda is kind of the Dragon Age 2 of the Mass Effect series. If you're somebody who can get on board with what it's trying to do, I think you enjoy it. Yeah, and you have to appreciate that they're trying something different. Well, and it's a completely different team. There's nobody from the original trilogy here. And there was always a discussion, well, is this the beginning of another trilogy or not? And and one of the things that people have been citing in this news report is that, well, this doesn't show confidence. They're not going to move directly into building the second part of this trilogy. And I would argue that I the don't press think they is, intended it to be exactly. a trilogy. The press has been, this may not be a, pro, a trilogy since they announced it. I thought they said pretty early on it was going to be a standalone story. Yes. 
Okay. So what I do think this means is that it didn't sell well enough that they're shifting resources into like single player DLC. They've said that they're going to continue to support the multiplayer with some new expansion and some new maps and things like that. But there's no plans been announced at this point for additional single player content. And if you have gotten to the end of the game, it wraps itself up pretty neatly. But it is a starting point. It's it doesn't, you know, tell you everything that's going to happen and the story doesn't end. Right. right, it's the beginning of a bigger story, which yes, that could lead into f- future games, or it could just be the story of what happened here. What I'm disappointed about is it means there's no single player DLC that's going to kind of fill in kind of the mysterious backstory of what the initiative is and who's driving the initiative, because that's kind of hinted at through the whole game, and I think they're going to end up telling that story in comic books or in novels instead of in gameplay. Yeah. So the other thing is that there was also a bunch of press this week about the first follow on or additional um, storytelling in comic books. Well, there's actually a novel out that's a prequel from the position of the characters. We talked a little bit about that on a previous episode. I I think people who are doing a lot of this reporting aren't doing a lot of research. That is not surprising. Well, when you've got to hit certain number of like, you know, stories a day and click on this. Mass Effect Andromeda, worst Bioshock game ever. It's not even a Bioshock game, but we're going to make you click on it. <laughs> I don't know what I was going with. No, it's okay. It's okay. I think it's re- at some point we're going to talk about game journalism. I think it's just journalism in general. I was talking with this about a friend. Just everything is nobody goes to websites to read. Read. Yeah. People are getting their news from Twitter and Facebook. And you're only getting, you know, 140 characters or whatever Facebook trims it down to. And you have to get people enticed, like, through clickbait is a very common term. But just, you know, provocative article titles where it's just like, is it the worst game ever? And then you get into it. It's like, no, it's not. Or the cast of Mass Effect Andromeda. What do they look like now? Yeah. And you're like, what? I I don't care. (laughs) Um, Anyhow, Um, well, we can, we'll talk about that later. Yeah. Next. Next is a game title I put on here because I knew you would want to talk about this. Oh my gosh. So Vanquish um, from Platinum Games is coming to PC. Out of nowhere. I don't think it's out of nowhere. After they released Bayonetta, it was pretty clear. Well, we did talk about that. Yeah. Um, Because we both were like, hey, maybe they're going to release some of the other Platinum games. Yeah. Uh, And with Nier doing as well as it's done uh, on the PC and then Bayonetta did fairly well. And this is, this is Sega that's putting them out, not necessarily platinum. So I think Sega is like, um, we want some money, please. <laughs> um, and here's Sonic. Yeah. Uh, Sonic forces. Um, so vanquish for those that don't know, came out, uh, a generation ago. It was a over a decade. I think so. Not human generation. You mean video game generation? No, I think it was my grandfather that played <laughs> it. No, it was a cover-based shooter. Yep. From Japan, with a, I think it's the best way to describe it. Well, it had a very balletic kind of motion system, and yeah. So in Vanquish, you really don't want to stay undercover. Enemies flank all the time, but unlike a Gears of War or even, I guess, Mass Effect to some degree, your character is very mobile. Um, You have a dash move, and you have moves where you can basically melee a character 
in close proximity, but this entire all of those movement and melee take up a resource, and you can overheat. Okay. Right. So it's about managing your overheat. I think it's reactor or something because you're in a uh, a power mech armor. Suit. Yeah. And so it's all about managing where you are in proximity to the enemies and managing your overheat. Hmm. Um, if you overheat, then you can't move. You can move very slowly um, and you can't really do anything. You're kind of defenseless at that point. Um, and like Gears of War, you've got uh, several different weapons, long range, sniper, machine guns, all that stuff. Um, and it's from Platinum Games. So <laughs> all the bosses are like insane. Insane. <laughs> yeah. So it's coming to PC. I think PC gamers will really like this game. It really turns the whole cover-based shooter on its head. There's really nothing like it um, that I can think of. Well, and this kind of reinforces, I don't know if we hinted at this in a previous tangent section or not, but Micro Center recently was uh, announcing its earnings for the last quarter, and they said that basically they had had a complete turnaround because of the growth of PC gaming. You know, the thing that's been dead, or, or been declared dead. That's, like Every few years, PC gaming is the worst. It's dead. It's not. It's never going to be. But I think what we're seeing a lot more of, and we'll talk about this in another episode, not the next episode or the next one, but maybe the next one, Teaser. is we're seeing a lot of release of games that have already come out in various methods or re-releases. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not new, but they were probably missed the first time. Well, and if you were purely a PC gamer and not a console gamer, you probably never heard about Bayonetta. Dark Souls was atrocious on the PC the first time. By the time they got to Dark Souls 3, it was released consistently at the same time with the same capabilities. Yeah, or Arkham City or Arkham Knight. Those games that were developed primarily for a console where the PC releases were incredibly lacking. Oh, gosh. Yes, unfortunately, I, I was lucky in that I got Arkham Knight for free on the PC, but I did buy it on the PS4, and I was disappointed twice. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's available for pre-order, and Sean was telling me if you already bought Bayonetta on Steam, you get a discount for this game. Yeah, 25%. And I, how much are they selling it for, do we know? 20 It's worth 20 It's absolutely worth $20. Um so if you're looking for a fun heart, it's challenging. It's a platinum game, so of course it's challenging. Um, I definitely, definitely recommend checking this out. Um, yeah, that's all I've got to say about that. Okay, so we were trying to lay off the superheroes after last week. Yeah, but do you remember Spider-Man? He, Spider-Man? Yeah, he's a character. I don't know if you know. I mean, there hasn't been really any movies about him in the past decade. Spider-Man? Is this like a man with six arms? No, 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 no. He's a high school student that gets bitten uh, by a radioactive spider. And dies of or a cancer? G- um, no, 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 no. He doesn't get cancer. He gets um, spider powers. He gets the powers of a spider? Well, sort of. He can climb on walls. And he can sense things before they happen because spiders do that. And he... Does he have glands that emit spider silk in his butt? Well, that's kind of... If you want to get in the nitty gritty, sometimes he does and sometimes he doesn't. Um, He just... He makes webs out of fluid. I see. Is he a super genius like Tony Stark? Um, Yeah, but in high school. High school super genius. Yeah. Okay. Actually, he's not in high and school And incredibly anymore. awkward. The character's not in high school anymore, Jared. Um, well, 
It depends on what depiction. If you're looking at the mainstream modern comics right now, he's not in high school anymore. No, he owns his own Tony Stark company called Parker Industries. Anyhow, anyhow, <laughs> Spider-Man's coming out. In July. In about a month or so. Yeah, Spider-Man Homecoming is, you know, we talked about Wonder Woman not getting a whole lot of uh, promotion last week. And I think kind of Spider-Man's in the same boat right now. Yeah, I mean, the trailer came out, and everybody watched the trailer when it came out, but we haven't seen any ongoing um, additional marketing. And this is a film that's, you know, kind of where Sony and Marvel are working together to try and resurrect the franchise. I feel like they are, but each has, like, a dagger behind their back. They're waiting to see who wins and who doesn't. Yeah. yeah. So so will it fail so Marvel can buy Spider-Man back? Or will it succeed and Sony steals Spider-Man away from Marvel? Well, they're what, contractually for three movies or yes, something? but I believe the Avengers movies. movies count. Yeah, so I mean, this is going to, I think it's going to do well. It's got the Marvel tag on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Robert Downey Jr.'s in it. Yeah, I, I think it is too. I'm just, again, I, we're kind of calling out that we're used to this kind of, and I'm going to use a loaded term here, an orgy of advertising, right? Just constantly berate or bombarding you with not berating you bombarding, maybe berating your intelligence, but bombarding you with all of this media attention about these movies that are coming out in six or eight weeks. And we've seen very little this summer. It's like they've ratcheted back on marketing because they're not quite sure they'll get their money out of it, which almost makes sense. Right. And you've got a summer where the blockbuster movies are almost all superhero movies. Yep. So how do you make Spider-Man stand out? Do you even need to? It's not an origin story, thank God. I think compared, people are going to be tired. I don't know. You, you're. I'm kind of surprised they're not marketing it because, and maybe they know, people are tired of seeing Spider-Man. Oh, this is a different one. This isn't the one that you saw last time or the time before that. But it's the one you liked in Captain America. Yeah, he had a little cameo in Captain America and he was funny. But it's a two-hour feature film. Which, by the way, let's just point out, this is the first Spider-Man that's actually funny. I agreed, 100% agreed. Unlike the other previous versions of Spider-Man, who Spider-Man's always been known for his wit and humor. Yeah, and that's that's why I like the character. I would say Spider-Man's my second favorite superhero. Um, and the last five movies have not fulfilled that sort of like snarky. He's really kind of a dick, but he's a likable dick. <laughs> not unlike kind of like me. Tony Stark. Oh, wait. Or, or I was going to say you. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm likable. Uh, all right. So that's that's one of two items, and we'll wrap up the tangents. The second one is one that's near and dear to my heart um, because I've kind of – I've gone through phases where I've been tired of the mainstream superheroes, and there are some alternate superheroes that I just will – I will buy anything with them in it, and one of those is Hellboy. Yes, I agree. And I love – I love Hellboy. Yeah, and as of maybe like six months ago, they were talking about getting a third Hellboy movie out with uh, Guillermo del Toro. And Ron Perlman. And Ron Perlman. Who is Hellboy. I mean... And he... Yeah. <laughs> um, and they just weren't able to do it, weren't able to get support. And this has been in the news ongoing if you're following it for about the six past six well, months. Well, ever since Hellboy 2, this has been in the news. Yeah, everybody's been wanting it. But then out of nowhere... They announced a Hellboy reboot. Right. With not Guillermo del Toro yeah. and not Ron Perlman. And I forget who the director they have attached to it, but somebody 
Somebody pretty good, I think. Yeah, it, the the names attached at this point. Again, this is still very early, um, but they've got the uh, the sheriff from Stranger Things. That's right, um, David Harbor, who's going to play, Hellboy. which I think is not a bad pick. You know, when I thought about it for a second, I'm like, okay, yeah, I can buy that. Yeah, you know, I'd love to see Ron Perlman back, but I I accept this. Yeah, and we're talking about a franchise where you know the the surrounding characters around Hellboy are just as interesting as he is. Absolutely, you know, Abe is always a good character to to listen to, and and you know the story of Liz and and all the surrounding characters in the BPRD. Um, I but there's very little about what the story is actually going to be, and if it's a straight up reboot of the original story, I, I I don't know that you can do it much better than what Del Toro did. Yeah, but I think Del Toro's versions were a little more actiony and comedic, whereas the the actual comic books are a little more somber and horror. dark and and horror. But I yeah. mean, not even like the horror you think of. Just like I I love them because it's just a lot of um. What's the word? Mythology and mm-hmm. and like oh, don't awaken an ancient evil. But that ancient evil was awakened by a previous ancienter evil. Well, and then you've got Hellboy, who's the bringer of the apocalypse, who's the main character and the hero. Yeah, you know, you're like you're destined to destroy the world, but you're playing the role of a superhero right now. Well, and he goes against his so-called destiny, right? Often, which is a good narrative but cool well i think that wraps up our tangents for this week and as we roll into our main topic yeah let's let's before we do that though uh we've we've heard some feedback over the last week or two um from our you know reliably um engaged listeners and we are still trying to figure out the twitch thing we are absolutely going to move forward on that. And if, if you don't know, I think we talked about this in the very first podcast. The um, Four Score and Seven Pong event that we did last year, it's almost two years ago now, It's it feels like, but um, was broadcast on Twitch. And this comes out of gaming competition, and, and we don't know exactly what shape it's going to take in the future. Uh, and there may be some brand confusion, too, I also noticed. In that the Science, Cosines, and Tangents podcast often shows up as the four score. It's a subsidiary of four score seven pongs. So yeah, if we were a megacorp or something, we're we're huge. We have just tons of interns, Uh, which is we're all the same people, right? So this is just we wanted the podcast to have its own branding, and the four score is kind of focused around the event and fundraising for charity and and the cult of personality that is Jared versus Brian. Which I think is again we're going to expand outside that. Yeah. But uh, so stay tuned. We are we're definitely we we also want to look at some things where we can get maybe multiple people if we have listeners who want to join in on the stream too. So yeah, we're we're looking for a guest host if there's something you want to talk about that we'll we'll take you up on that. Yeah, or if there's specific interviews or specific topics you want us to cover, you know how to get a hold of us. Yeah. Um. You. Email. No, we don't have an email. Do we, do we have an email? We should work on that. I don't know. Who talks to using email anymore? I don't know. So you can respond to our Twitter. You can respond to the Facebook page or Jared or my personal pages or personal Twitters, all of which are very easy to find. Yep. Um, but uh, with that in mind, well, let's transition to our main topic for, for this episode. Let's, let's go way back and talk about a legend. Gather close that you might hearken. The story of Fat Neil. 
Born stout of heart, but large of bone, his adolescent years were shadowed by scorn and mockery. Outlets of fantasy afforded him some escape from the darkness throughout high school. And as a man, he traveled far to a new school and a new beginning. Or so he thought. All right. What are we talking about, Sean? So I originally titled this section, When Jared Met Sean. (laughs) But I thought that might have the wrong connotation. Um, So this week, our main topic is about offline role-playing games or tabletop role-playing games. And for those who don't know the story, uh, the reason that we're even doing this podcast comes down to a, a bunch of people on a, a public uh, message board or during a live radio, online, internet radio show talking about playing Dungeons & Dragons. And I, th- I think we've told pieces of that in previous episodes. but I don't think we have. But yeah, Sean and I met on the internet. Yes. And then we did the uh, fabled uh, act of meeting in person. Which is a big step for some people. It right? is. You know, not for me, because I'll meet anybody. I don't care. <laughs> yeah. I'm, an, I, I'm an extrovert, almost extreme extrovert in many and ways. And I'm a hermit. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're definitely an introvert um, when you're not on. Yeah. Right? So you've got your moments where you just kind of flip that switch. And this was a situation where uh, I had a former co-worker... Um, an acquaintance who was our on our what second or third episode was Brian. Brian. Yep. Um, and he had a live internet radio show with his wife, where they would just kind of do this radio show on Thursday nights for what three, four hours, something like that. It was a while, and it was a little unstructured, but it was great. It was just they would monitor the chat room, and people would just talk about stuff, and it was it was fun. And I'm not even sure how all of us found this i mean there's stories about how yeah i mean i don't know if you want to share that story or not but we met via other internet people (laughs) which is interesting (laughs) it's the web of the internet yeah um but what it all came down to really was a bunch of these people in the chat room and on the on the uh internet radio show talking about you know hey i've never done that that sounds super geeky but fun or i haven't done it since college or i haven't done it since i was a kid and of course, Uber Me being there, who has been running role playing games, writing stories, doing all this for pretty much all of my life. Uh, it goes all the way back to the playground in third grade when we tried to learn how to play champions and didn't read the rules because we all <laughs> love superheroes and we had miniatures and we just, you know, kind of played make believe with miniatures. Eventually, that grew into uh, running Marvel superheroes, uh, the old 1980s version of that role playing game from TSR. And um, it, ironically, that group of friends, we never played D&D. <laughs> Not once. Hey. I introduced them to Star Trek once or twice, which yeah. was, uh, that was hard. But uh, I always played D&D with other people. And the the connection there, of course, is Star Trek role-playing games are how I met my wife, Eva, when I was in high school and she was in college. And so this is something that's been a huge part of my life. Um, as geeky as it is, right? It's it for the last twenty years. It's been kind of the thing that the guys who don't know how to shave and and don't bathe do in their basements with their friends. And you know, you see the cooler retellings and things like Stranger Things, where you've got the kids playing in the basement and they're playing as kids. And you're going, why would adults do that? Well, 
let's let's turn that around. Why would adults do that, Jared? Because obviously I've been doing this since I was a kid. You haven't. Yeah, and when I was first introduced to it, my wife, I asked my wife, and she's like, oh, yeah, we used to play all the time. And I'm like, oh, really? I didn't know that about you. Um, and she would explain it to me. And and again, like Sean said, it's always been depicted as neckbeards and people playing in a dank basement that have no social skills. Well, my wife has social skills. So yeah, it was she like, does. It was like, whoa you're you're a normal person with a job and and friends and you played dungeon and dragons um but she was she would explain it to me and it's not i mean it's it's open-ended storytelling that's all it is i mean with a few constraining mechanics to make sure that somebody can't become superman and just not make the game challenging so i mean there's game elements brought in Mm -hmm. but it's it's open-ended storytelling hey i want to do this thing i want to play a character that's either like me or completely different from me um you know every option is open um so why would people do this i don't i still don't know to this day but um well why did you do it my wife told me to Okay, so it was a, it's, so people bring people into but, this, but right? Ultimately, yeah, people bring people in, and it's a great, honestly, it's a fantastic way to break the ice and meet other people. And there's very little risk involved when you do it in things like organized events, or you know, well, there's always risk. Everything on the internet has risk these days. But the the thing that we always did growing up, we didn't have the internet, right? Because I'm really old. Um, and actually you don't even have to be really old to not have the internet when you were growing up, but I'm, I'm older and, uh, we would meet at the game stores or we would have friends and friends of friends. And, you know, it just, it was kind of weird the way I met gaming groups over the years because it was almost never a straight, Hey, my buddy Sean's running this game. Do you want to come over and play? It was always kind of, Hey, there's these guys over here who are interested in doing something. And do you, you know, are you, you're interested in the same thing or you'd strike up a conversation at the gaming store or you'd strike up a conversation at the comic book store or at the subway, or you'd be reading a book and somebody would walk up to you and go, Hey, I, I, I play D and D. Do you play D and D? Um, and I want to be fair that we're going to focus a lot on dungeons and dragons because it's kind of the gateway drug, but there are about every type of, genre setting that you can imagine that somebody could probably come up with a way to tell a story. And that's really what it comes down to. So how do you introduce new players? The biggest thing that I have found in my years of getting groups together and building social groups around this is have a, having fun and conversations. If, if you're the type of people who like stories and, and we tend to find people who like stories, right? Everybody likes stories of some sort. Humans have almost been telling stories for a very long time, almost since they've been around. So getting new people to play is really, there's a few obstacles. And we'll talk about some of those as we go further down into this conversation. But the first one is really stigma. And how do you overcome that stigma? Because, you know, it's interesting. If you look at the path of my life, I mean, I've always been into gaming. I've always been a gamer. I've always told stories. I was an artist. And then you throw this really weird kind of left-hand curveball into that, in that I'm a U.S. Marine. Well, let me tell you something about being a Marine and playing role-playing games. When you are stuck in Okinawa, Japan for a year without your family, with just the guys in the barracks with you, and you've got a choice 
of going out on town and spending what little money you have because you're a Lance Corporal who makes $500 a week and can't afford anything, or then blowing it on alcohol and getting in trouble, or coming back to the barracks and getting everybody together once or twice a week and telling stories together and having fun and living out your kind of visceral fantasies without any of the nastiness that goes along with that. And, and just escape from the drudgery of being somewhere you don't want to be doing things that you may enjoy, but don't really want to do. That is a huge factor in why people play these games. It's, it's not a lot different than having a dinner party. Yeah, and I think a lot of people think like, oh, they're going off and pretending to be a wizard, lightning bolt, lightning bolt. And I mean, it's not all that. You can be... Well, there is some of that. Well, some people are like that. But it's not, it's it's just as diverse as the world is. Yeah. Well, and if you think about it, I, I kind of jokingly uh, liken this to the 1950s and 60s bridge clubs. Yeah. It, it's yeah, not... A heck of a lot different, except instead of playing cards and having conversations about other things, you're engaging with those people to troubleshoot and and think about how you or your character or the people involved in a situation would react. This is actually far more active conversation than talking about the latest political BS or, you know, something happening in another country or... You know, what the Cardassians, Cardassians, I always say Cardassians. It's That's what I started calling them. Um, the Cardassians are doing this week, and I know they're not even relevant anymore, but, you know, the latest industry figure in, in pop culture. This is something where you can spend one to four hours, spend very little money, have good food and a good conversation with your friends, and it's almost always in humor. And, you know, people come together and troubleshoot and and talk about different ways they see a problem and how they get out of it and and then there's that element of the dice right so there's there have to be some rules around how things work or else it becomes playground pretend where so and so just gives themselves i have you know every shield. superpower shield i've got a super shield yeah you can't penetrate my super shield well you know you need some rules to arbitrate that and that's what the game is well and not only that is if everything just like we learn with playing games on easy mode or whatever you want to call it if there's no challenge there's no conflict then there's little interest like oh i can just breeze through this whereas you know if your character's getting hit your Mm -hmm. team is getting attacked and you're like oh there's there's real risk here well in in the other thing it's funny because i gave a presentation at a local information security conference And I got some interesting looks when I proposed what I was going to talk about, which I was talking about career development for people in information security. This is a real problem in in my career field, is that people are not staying around, they're not learning the right skills, and everybody's jumping jobs all the time. And I said, so we have to solve this problem because there's not enough people to do these jobs. And I said, here's how I compare this to a Dungeons & Dragons adventuring party. And I kind of walked through each step about... You know, everybody knows their role, right? So define what that role is, and you have certain skills, and we're all on a team, and we're fighting these bad guys. So information security people are trying to defend their companies and organizations from attack from the outside, whether it be through malware or whether it be through hackers or a foreign nation state. Again, I'm, I'm layering geek on top of geek on top of geek here. Multi-layered. 
yeah, I have lots of depth. Um, but the the point I was trying to make in that conversation, and the point I think is relevant here, is this is all about people coming together in a positive way. And it's a good, it's a good team building exercise in general. No character, no person playing can do anything on their own. Well, they I can mean, do things on their own. They, they can't can... do everything on their own. Right, but I mean, the game is structured in a way where you have to rely on the people you're playing with. Right. You can't just go in and be like, I'm going to kill everybody. You can't do that. You have to think about it tactfully. So I want to I want to pivot off that and, and, and turn this back on you for a second, Jared. As somebody who hadn't played, right? And looking back, this is over a decade now we've been doing these things. And it obviously bled into other parts of our friend. We've developed a lifelong friendship at this point. Well, that's yet to be seen. Well, I'm I'm dying, so it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> but we've been friends for a long time over an accidental encounter yep. more or less. And and I think that we have very strong friendships amongst our peer groups and we've been, we we have circles that don't interact. But we've introduced other people into this and and you know, I think this has always been a positive thing. But as a new player coming into this, what did you expect and what did you actually experience? Okay, that's a great question. So what I expected was a lot of, well, I'm a wizard from the ancient, you know, whatever. But basically, like, you've got to be very... um, You thought everybody had to be a voice actor at the table? A a voice actor, or maybe just they've got to pretend. Whereas what I developed over time, and Sean knows, my character is just an exaggerated version of myself who's even grumpier than I am. (laughs) Yes, Jarbo (laughs) is. Um. So I expected that you had to be, like, you had to know all the lore of the world, you you know, you, and really, it's open-ended. And if you have a, I think a lot depends on your game master or dungeon master. Um, to, I mean, they're, they're leading you through this experience. So, you know, they have to look for the new characters and kind of lead them along and show them what's possible, but without necessarily telling them what to do. Right. Um, so as a new player coming in, I, ex- I expected I wasn't going to like it, honestly. Um, and then after I learned the mechanics and sort of how, you know, how each engagement or scenario, what do they call them? Encounter? No, there's a name for it. Uh, module? Module. Adventure? Yeah, like we're structured is they're all structured in a way where there's not one answer, right? It's like life, right? There's multiple ways to solve a problem. You can go in brute force if that's your method. Um, If you want to play tactfully, you can. And depending on the scenario and what your dungeon master allows, you can do something that probably wasn't accounted for in the first place. But it all exists in a, a world or a gameplay style that, there are limitations. You can't do everything. And just like real life where you have the best intent to do something, you still need to see how effective that is. (laughs) Um, I mean, I've tripped over my own feet in real life several times, and now I've gotten to experience that in a game. So that's fair. You know what I mean? There's also an element of a social contract at the table, right? Between the person telling the story, the DM, GM, whatever you want to call it. And the players. And every experience, I could, I can tell you I have run the same scenarios for multiple different types of people and gotten completely different outcomes because 
what makes the difference are the people at the table, not the scenario. Actually, I think this is a great way. I, I would like you to tell the story of the gazebo. This is a... which gazebo story? I'm trying Just... to remember which one you're talking about. It's a gazebo. Well, I roll perception. <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, no, I don't remember at all. I think you probably can tell uh, it. But... Okay, so Sean was telling me of a another game he was playing with other people, and they encountered a gazebo. A gazebo. Okay, it's coming back to me. Keep yeah. going. I'm not going to. There's tell a you... joke about this also called the Dreads gazebo, which is a similar problem. But I'm not going to tell you what a gazebo is until after this. If you know, you already know. If you don't, you don't. Yes. So a lot of the players were like, I roll perception on the gazebo. I want to see what the, and Sean's like, it's a gazebo. And somebody's like, well, I stealthily go around to observe the gazebo from, from the rear. Yes. It's a gazebo. <laughs> well, I'm going to check to see, you know, if it, you know, I'm going to shoot an arrow at it to see if I can provoke it. Okay. And Sean's, you roll the hit, but you hit the gazebo and it seems to have no effect. It has no effect. The gazebo it's does a gazebo. not respond. <laughs> So if you don't know what a gazebo is, a gazebo is just an enclosed structure with benches. You've seen them at parks. It's just a gazebo. And this was a perfect example where I was playing with people who didn't know the word. <laughs> and they didn't ask the right questions. And I did describe it. I did say it was a it was a large structure. It appeared not to be animate. It was made of wood. I explained all of that. But this group, somebody in this group just said they didn't know the word gazebo. And I guess the rest of them didn't. They were fairly young players. And I was the same age, but I guess I was better read. And they continued to try and figure out how to, you know, defeat this gazebo. <laughs> you know, and you've heard the, the, there's a lot of jokes in the gaming community about attacking the darkness. You know, and, and you get these weird situations where sometimes people will get so involved that they don't actually take a step back and go, oh, wait, you just described a shelter house. If you'd said shelter house, I would have known what that was. But instead, I spent the last 10 minutes attacking it. So I let this go on for a while, at which point I had what you have non-player characters, right? So this is where I get to exercise some agency in the story and introduce an outside party. And it was a, a it was a park ranger walked up and I mean, basically said, why are you guys trying to beat up our gazebo? You know, this was built for the people to have some place to see these beautiful vistas, and here you are hacking at it and attacking it. And, and you know, this is a shelter for people on the road. And they're like, uh, yeah, oh, that's what that is. <laughs> and we laughed about it. We still laugh about it to this day. It's, it makes a great story. But it, this is where you've got the situation where it could have gone anywhere, right? I thought it was a very simple description. You see a gazebo up ahead. It, it It's made of wood and blah, 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 blah. Well, I want to attack it. Why? Why Why do you want to attack it? I should have asked that. I didn't ask that. I said, okay, you can do anything you want to do. I'm not going to stop you. You attack the gazebo, roll to hit. And, you know, it. there's tons of those types of examples in games. And we've even had them in a few of the... Yeah, I was, I was just thinking of a recent one where we, our entire party was so hesitant to do something where where Sean was just like, fine, 
nothing happens. They leave the room. You can go into the room. It's safe now. Like never, nobody wanted to engage in battle because they were. Everybody was afraid of what was going to happen. We were all a little uh, like no, everything's a trick, right? Yeah, we're we're all expecting a trick or a trap or you know, hey, you accidentally trigger this thing and the room encloses on you. And we've all played games like that where. You go somewhere and then something unexpected happens. <laughs> um, so anyhow, Sean, let's let's move this. Let's let's talk about. Well, I think this this goes into the next point. Yeah. Which, how do you find your voice as a player? Again, I'm I'm kind of interviewing you on this. I've got a lot of experience that I yeah. can talk, but you started out hesitant. You thought this was going to be a bunch of weird people making funny voices at a table, and you had to come into understanding who your character was and what you wanted to do. How did you do that? And how they fit into the yeah to the dynamic of the well, group. Well, obviously, the dynamic of the group is a piece of it. Yeah, but. yeah. So, I mean, that that was a lot of it. I, I found out who my other players were, my friends that were playing, and somebody's got to be the straight man. So I essentially took up the role of the straight man in the group because everybody was joking. And- Which is ironic because Jared is not the straight man <laughs> in not. any situation. I'm not. Um, so I, I'm usually the straight man. But, uh, yeah. So, you know, it, it's building off of that team dynamic, right? If Not everybody can be the Fonz, right? In, in any sort of... <laughs> the fun, cool guy. <laughs> the fun, cool guy. Well, I'm also the fun, cool guy. And we're a group of fun, cool guys. Hey. Yeah, that, that's not very diverse. So, yeah, I mean, eventually finding my voice was like, oh, I don't have to be this, you know, hello, my name is Jabachar. <laughs> I come from the high halls of the dwarves. You don't have to do that. Right. Um, so actually it's hard to keep doing that. It's hard to keep in character. Cause and that's between sessions. You're not going to remember it. And that's a lot that happens in the game is you, you can break character, right? You're talking aloud and Sean's, you know, sometimes Sean will be like, uh, you come up to the barkeep and somebody will be like, Hey, it's you. And then Sean would be like, excuse me. <laughs> Sean's like playing off of like just our um what's the word uh just our our non-professionalism. Well, yeah, so you know, sometimes the characters don't take the world seriously. Yeah. And that's actually kind of a cool thing about when we talk about voice. Uh in these games, one of the things that you try and do as both a player and a somebody telling the story, running the story is to make it obvious that these are not normal people. Right. Normal people don't go on grand adventures. Normal people don't save the world. Normal people don't have an enchanted hammer that summons lightning. Well, if they did, they probably use it differently than an adventurer would, right? Probably. Uh, normal people don't fight space pirates or I mean, so the the whole concept of this is a little bit of escapism, right? Our our regular days may not be bad, our lives may be great. We may love what we do and love everybody in our lives and have no problems. That's unlikely. But this is an opportunity to be somebody you're not and in a safe environment with friends and some rules. And as long as you stay within those constraints, things are okay. Um, so to your point, you know, your, your character in one of the games is a, is a, a dwarven ranger, right? And so he's rangers for those of you who don't know are kind of woodsy people, right? They Think go of out, Aragorn from Aragorn the first. Aragorn for Lord of the Rings. Yeah. If you're a fan of that, or, uh, you know, they, they, they're they good with bows and usually weapons. Some types of rangers have animal companions. You know, they spend a lot of time out in the woods as guides and to, to, to fend off um, attack from wild animals and wild 
creatures uh, to help defend outposts and stuff like that, right? So in general, I mean, there's a lot of ways a ranger can be carved up, but they're woodsy people. And if you think about the scenario where you're you're on the road, you come in off the road, and you're this guy who's used to being in the wilderness all the time, and all of a sudden you're in this village that's got 10,000 people in it, you're probably not going to be the happiest guy in the world, or you're going to be absolutely happy because you have other people around you, depending on your character. And in most cases, we see, like, Jared's character is not a big fan of cities. <laughs> so he'll walk up to the bartender and say, like, four words at all in the entire session to somebody outside of... I mean, it, that doesn't mean Jared only says four words, but his character will only say four words because that's he's kind of laconic. He, he doesn't engage with people. Whereas his wife's character, Erica's <laughs> character, is a um, an elven wizard. And she's kind of a child prodigy, and she's a fire wizard. So, so she loves fire. All of her spells are fire. She's actively built all of her abilities around fire. And Tali is her character's name. Loves just lighting things on fire. Sometimes it happens accidentally when she gets excited, you know. And she's very outgoing. She's very gregarious. And so that's the thing that some of that is Erica too, right? Erica's personality is like that, but. But when she's playing this character, she's even more gregarious than Erica normally is. Um, you know, we've got other people at the table. We've got Brian playing in this game, too, who we've mentioned a few times now. And he's playing a fighter who has an interesting backstory in the fact that he's not the smartest guy in the world. And he and Jared's character, and I didn't build any of this. I, I want you guys to understand this. This is all a dynamic that evolved through the game. When we got together, again, we were absolutely not familiar with each other's personalities didn't know anything about the game and and my goal as the person kind of setting it up was to make everybody at ease and i said okay so just think about who your character is and where you came from and ask some basic questions we did the mechanics piece and this goes into the next point which is simple complexity in games if you're daunted by the fact that there's all of these statistics and characteristics and numbers and values and all of that if you find a I was told there'd be no math. Okay, that's my line. And we haven't had we haven't had that in the last <laughs> few episodes. That's kind of my catchphrase. Uh all right, all right, all right. You know, anyway. <laughs> Where I was going is the the person who's coordinating the game, if they're experienced, is there to help make that simpler for you. To remove those obstacles because over time you'll understand them. If you're somebody who's looking at starting up a game and you've never run a game before, it's okay to not use all the rules. Keep that in mind. You can add complexity as you become comfortable. You don't have to memorize the book. You don't have to know exactly. In fact, you can actually have the book on hand to reference if you want to. You should. Yeah. I mean, nobody has all the rules memorized all the time. The other thing I want to stress about complexity and simplicity, if the rules get in the way of telling a good story... Throw ignore them, them out. For a, yeah, ignore them. Or, or modify them in a way that, you know, there's still consequence, there's still risk, but it's not going to be overly complex or hard. And when we're talking about D&D, D&D actually has kind of that layered approach where you start with some, it's immediately daunting when you look at a character sheet, but they have some things that help make that easy. Um you start with basic rules. You start with basic low-level characters. The idea of a progression in Dungeons & Dragons is very linear. 
and it's additive. So complexity gets better or higher as the characters develop. There's other game systems that aren't like D&D that are very freeform. Um, there's some games where you can basically say you have a chance to do anything as long as you've described as your character's focus or we've agreed to it. And I'll make a test against that. And there's the random element, right? And there's risk and reward on that. And so you don't have a list of 47 different things that you can do. You just say that my character is, is a woodsman and I've been hunting since I was 12. Well, then it's a conversation. And there's ways to do that even with a more rigorous rule system. So what I would encourage people to do, if you're interested in learning how to play these games, um, it's not always the most conducive to go to like a comic book store or a role-playing game session at a conference or a convention. But those are good because they expose you to a lot of different people and the way different people play. Um, when we talk about building party and we talk about adding other people, We've had some new additions over the course of just this one campaign that you've been playing in, Jared. What's your observations about how easy or hard it was to add people who didn't start with the group? Um, it's it's pretty easy, I think. I mean, you have to have somebody that you have to let, you have to let, make them feel comfortable, right? If they feel comfortable, it will emerge over time. You, it's mm-hmm. like you said, you've got to let them. What is it you're trying to do? okay, let me help you achieve what you want to do. And, you know, it's, again, learning people's personalities over time, learning their game personalities. But it's not difficult to achieve if you already know somebody um, that does it. And there's, uh, right now especially, we've got a lot of attention on playing role-playing games. You've got a lot of Twitch streams and YouTube videos and... I mean, there's a huge push on kind of the social aspects of gaming, and there's a lot of tools out there, and we'll come back to some of those in a, in a little bit. But I want to talk a little bit about logistics. And the reality is getting any group of people together can be hard. All of us have diverse schedules. Especially as soon as you increase the number of people, too. Right. And what I would want to encourage people to do is is come to a consensus, but at the same time, it you can't let the whole group suffer because of one, right? If one person can't make it, then you identify that that person can't make it and you come up with another alternative. Uh, Again, one of the things that most of these rule systems and game books do is, is, uh, sorry about that. I had to silence my phone. (laughs) Um, Is that they'll help you through this, right? They'll, they'll give you hints and they'll teach you how to be, the person who runs the story or how to be a good player. Logistically, not everybody has to own every book. Not everybody has to, you know, purchase every product that comes out. Um, I do want to caution people about something that I've seen over the years. I'm the type of person as a player and as a storyteller that I will go out and buy all the stuff, right? Because I want it. It's more resources for me. If you're not somebody who has a lot of means or wants to spend your money in this area, you can play this game virtually for free. There are free rule systems on uh, online. There are lots of free tools. Um, if, if you're concerned about money and cost of entry, 
there there's really not a lot you have to worry about there. Um, the the days of having to go to a store and, and figure out where to buy something and I mean Amazon also is another great source for this stuff. And there's lots of PDFs out there you can download for five to ten bucks get some new additions to your roles or even apps now and there's apps on phones yeah lots of apps for character generation on the phones um but let me talk a little bit about bad stuff people can get too involved in these games and we've we've all heard the nightmare stories which are like saying you're going to die in a plane crash right it's an absolute worst case scenario where everything goes wrong and something's just horrible and 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 we've seen some coverage over the years where people who were not mentally sound and would have been unsafe in any situation uh, were especially brought to light around role-playing games and these types of social events. It's best when there's all friends, but you know what? Inviting new people and playing with people you don't know has its own value as well. Because you develop friendships and sometimes you don't right not everybody's going to be everybody's friend not everybody's going to be drinking buddies after six weeks um and if you start to sense that there's tension if anybody at your table is uncomfortable if you're running the game if you're playing the game everybody has the responsibility to talk about it right and i've seen that over the years a lot especially when you've got mixed gender teams of players uh where one player will and, and this goes into the social inadequacies, right? Not everybody is socially apt. Um, where one player may like another player, male, female, whatever. Or they may uh, create a character that they use to act out their own personal interest in somebody else. Um, and it makes the other person uncomfortable. Yeah, and it's it's not a green light to do things that aren't... Not socially acceptable. Acceptable, yeah. Just exactly. because you're a fantasy character doesn't mean that you can go further than you would normally go in a conversation. Right. And there's a certain amount of responsibility on the person coordinating the game to be fair and equitable and make everybody at the table comfortable. But I would also say that's everybody's responsibility. And if you that, that goes the other way, too. If the person running the game is putting you and your friends or your acquaintances into situations that you're uncomfortable with, talk about it. And then maybe that's not a game you want to be in. It's okay. But once you've got, I kind of joke about this as a, as your gateway drug, right? We talk about D and D as a gateway drug. Once you have that experience where you've told a story, you've made new friends and you've spent four or five hours and the time will fly by in a fun session and you won't even know what's going on. Um, it's hard to walk away from. You'll always have those fond memories and those stories will live with you. Right. And and these aren't real people. These aren't books that you read. These aren't movies that you watched or games that you played. This is something uniquely different to you. Unique, a shared experience still, but a unique shared experience. And you made it. This is one of the most creative hobbies that you could possibly have where six or seven people can get around a table it's in many ways, and this is going to sound kind of weird. This is what I would imagine government should be like a bunch of people deciding what they want to try and do and then figuring out how to do it within the scope of rules. That's not the way government actually works, but it's small, small all while scales. rolling dice. Well, the dice, <laughs> dice are the rules, right? That's the, the remote element. Um, so there can be bad things about this too, but that's really about communication. You can overcome that. 
Well, and I was going to say, you touched on it. I mean, that's really the takeaway of why you want to play something like this is you have an experience that you share with people. Um, And as we know, based on statistics these days, millennials are more into buying experiences rather than material goods. Oh, I'm so tired of that. I know. I'm sorry. No, no, Um, no. But that that being said, because I'm not a millennial. You're not a millennial. I am technically. Are you? I am. You're right on the edge. I'm on the edge of glory. Um, I'm definitely not a millennial. But again, it's an experience. You're playing an experience. And and like with video games or even tabletop games, which Mm -hmm. I don't know. We'll touch on that in a broader scope next time. But it's it's unique. It's something that you're not going to go get out by watching Guardians of the Galaxy, the movie that everybody saw and and every it's the same for everybody and some people like and some people don't. You're you're working to build something that you all like. But if you have seen Guardians of the Galaxy, it is almost a perfect example of a role-playing yeah, game. Yeah, the, the character You know that's a good analogy. That's a very good analogy. The characters in that movie are very much like a normal session. It's it it's not serious the entire people you're joking as somebody's doing something well the that- opening to guardians of the galaxy 2 is a typical rpg fight yeah absolutely everybody's doing their thing and their role and and you know somebody's doing something else and you get knocked down and you get back up and i just i i think they did a great job with the characterization of those characters because they're a family right and in many ways the characters you usually tend to see in adventuring parties become family um, maybe not, you know, real family, but I mean, they, they go through shared trauma and the players at the table also take on some of that element because you put your mind into that space where you have to think your way out of a problem and it's a shared problem. And how do I apply my ability with your ability and your, you know, we're good at different things. It's the same thing. This is a technique that's been used in team building for years. Think about the rise of the escape room. Yeah, absolutely. It, it Escape Room is a practical role-playing experience. It's a one-off role-playing experience where you have to work together. Each person brings something to the table. If everybody thought the same and it was a one answer fit at all, then it wouldn't work. But if everybody sees things differently. And you succeed together and you fail together. Exactly. And nine times out of ten, you may not completely succeed and you will not completely fail. There will be something, even if you fail to get out of that room, as a team, you will have accomplished something during that session. It's almost as if the world isn't black or white, Sean. Well, I don't know anybody who actually subscribes to that view. <laughs> they may want to, they may think it that way, but I I don't think anybody really does. Um, so I want to transition a little bit and talk about ways to play. Because not everybody has a ton of friends that they can pull to their house or, you know, or is comfortable um, doing that or can even host a session because they've got, you know, other responsibilities, children, you know, spouses who may or may not want to join you. By the way, the best way to be able to continue to do this over the years, and I was very lucky in that I met my spouse doing this, but involve your loved ones in this. Bring them along. Even if it's not something they really like or want to play or want to play, they can be there. Involve them. And if there's other spouses who also don't get it, you know, there was this old stereotype as I was kind of doing this over the last 20 years 
where people would say, well, my wife, you know, won't let me come over. Or I, you know, I'm, I'm not going to leave the family to do that. And I've always been like, so bring the family, you know, my, again, my wife's different, but not everybody's family enjoys this. But if you're developing friendships, it's a great opportunity to expose other members of your close circle of friends to each other and they develop their own relationships. Yeah. And I want to relate a personal story, but, um, friends of friends of mine invited us to go play a role-playing game. They said, come over and play games. I didn't know them. Well, I've met them in passing a couple times. So we went to their house and we played games with them with a bunch of other people. We didn't know. Mm -hmm. It was great. And as an introvert, like me, I have to force myself to put myself in those situations, but it's always benefited me in some way. I've got this really horrible idea in my head. I'm going to go ahead and say it. Okay. So our role-playing games, the modern key party. The what? Modern key party. Key party? Yeah, you're not old enough. To I'm not that. old enough to understand that reference. So there was a whole thing in the 70s with swinger couples. Oh, oh, keys in a, in a jar. No, they're not. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I got yeah, it. No, again, uncomfortable. <laughs> if someone's uncomfortable it's not good um no. yeah before every D D session we put all of our keys into a bowl and Can we see who's the... going home with whom that night no i don't think so well no at the end there's a treasure chest and you pull out the key one <laughs> you take that car home <laughs> yes some of us would definitely win in that argument um others not a- so much anyhow my point is uh, it's a great way to meet people in a shared setting and again you can do it at somebody's house a common element is there are now bars out there that are playing games yes tabletop games role-playing or otherwise well and and if you're in columbus one of the best places in columbus to to have these conversations and and the role-playing game market is is really small these days because the tabletop games the board games which are digestible you can do them in two hours and there's no commitment of time to them, um, which is a challenge a lot of people have. But the game stores have things like um, the Adventurers League for D&D, which is small, digestible encounters where you get together with people you don't know and you play through a session. Um, if you don't have a, a home game group, that's a great opportunity. And there's the Guard Tower. There's uh, Ravenstone. I mean, there's a few game shops here in Columbus. Um, I think the Laughing Ogre also has uh, game nights where you can meet like-minded people or people who are interested. But the the best thing, and this is where I was going back to, we didn't have the internet when I was growing up. You can meet people online and never meet them in person and still play games. And so in our show notes, there's going to be a number of links to some tools that'll help you do this. Now, a few years ago, one of the big, you know, because we're a video game podcast too, right? We, we talk about, uh, that we play a lot of video games and we want to play video games with other people. You have multiplayer games. Well, Bioware, who we talked about with Mass Effect Andromeda earlier and, you know, the Star Wars games and, and they go all the way back to the Baldur's Gate and the D&D games, they released a game called Neverwinter Nights, which came with a toolkit that allowed you to run your own games online with other players and let the video game arbitrate the rules. They also made a sequel called Neverwinter Nights 2, which had the same functionality. And then most recently, and this game isn't even out yet, we, there was a lot of press about it this week. Um, Divinity Original Sin 2, 
which is a mouthful to say. Actually, one of the stretch goals for the Kickstarter was a, a Dungeon Master mode, which allowed you to run an interactive game with people where they play their characters in the game, but you can arbitrate it as a Dungeon Master or a Storyteller. And so there's a lot of interest in doing this. And those are the more visual, high-fidelity visual ways to do it, right? Where you've got a game and there's you know rules that they follow and it rolls the dice for you and it does all the visuals and you see explosions from the spells and all that stuff. But there's also a category of tools called virtual tabletops. And there's some really good virtual tabletops out there. Uh, I think we've talked about Roll20.net once or twice before. Uh, it's a free. You just log in, you set up a game, and you invite your friends to play, and or you invite strangers to play. There's there's bulletin boards where you can look for players or look for games, um, and you get online and you play a game. And it's you know it's a, a tool you see used a lot on the Twitch streams and the Yahoo uh, YouTube channels. Um, Another one being Fantasy Grounds. Fantasy Grounds is another virtual tabletop. It's a bit more visually interesting. It actually has the ability to license published content from game systems like Pathfinder and Dungeons and Dragons 5th Edition. And it'll come with all the maps, all the characters, and all you have to do is add players. So that can get expensive, but if, if that's something you want to do, that's something worth looking into. Um, and then D20 Pro and Tabletop Simulator. Tabletop Simulator is on Steam. It covers everything. Everything. It's it's just a basically a physics box for a tabletop. You can put yes, I, all kinds of character pieces. I played X-Wing chess, miniature games. X-Wing. I mean, you I, can play uh, anything on it. Yeah. Battlestar Galactica, the board game, Risk, Monopoly, Checkers, and role-playing games. So there's there's easy ways to get people together. Um, if the technology doesn't get in your way, if you don't really need all the technology, Hey, there's this other idea where you just open up a Google hangout and you put people on Skype or on Google and you talk to each other and you don't have to all be in the same room. Um, if you are somebody who wants to invest in making characters, because that's often the hardest part of actually playing a game when you first start, how do I make a character? That's really hard. There's some really good tools out there for that too. And they're multi-system. So if you're playing a star Wars game or you're playing D and D or you're playing, um, savage worlds or fate. And, and we haven't explained what any of these other things are, but you can look them up pretty quickly and easily. Um, there's a game or a, an application and it really is an application. It's not a game called Hero Lab that we use for our games uh, that allows you to buy rule sets and expansions. And as the game publishers put out new rules, you can just buy a small license and it adds that content into your character creator and you can manage your characters very, very easily. Uh, the other thing that people often struggle with is like pictures. If you're not an artist and you want to have a picture of what your character looks like, there's a great online tool called Hero Machine, um, which I've spent just hours playing with. Right, it's especially used it a lot in superhero games, and I am an artist, so I can draw characters. But it's sometimes fun to mix and match and just randomly create stuff. So we'll put links to those tools all in the show notes, um, as well as some free resources. So you don't have to pay anything to get the Dungeons and Dragons Fifth Edition rules. Uh, but most of these game systems come with what are called starter boxes, where they introduce you to the very basic level of the game. 
and give you some basic rules and some basic like dice. So you, cause the dice are all weird, right? They're not the same dice you get out of Monopoly or uh, Yahtzee or Yahtzee. Yes. <laughs> Thanks for bringing that back. Um, and there's a bunch of those out there as, so we'll put some links to, to those systems in there. Um, you don't have to just play fantasy games. You know, if, if you want to play a modern game about, you know, corporate espionage, there's a game system out there to do that. Yeah. And there, there are other games. If you're, if you don't want to invest the time of setting up a campaign in any of these games, there are things called one-off RPGs. There mm-hmm. are a couple out there. Yep. They still have the same sort of rule sets um, from, you know, complex to not complex. And in fact, one I played, I can't, I couldn't find the name. I researched before the show. I couldn't find it, but it was essentially whoever was around the table. You all are multiple personalities of the single character. Hmm. And you have three things. You have something that triggers you to take over. You know, you can kind of basically roll to take over the personality. And you each have your own objectives. Yeah. And then the role of the game master is to basically kind of narratively make sure this makes sense, right? Because if somebody's like, my, um, what was somebody's goal was to own like a Dunkin' Donuts franchise or something. <laughs> and I mean, it's, it's open-ended and it's just comedic, right? It's, there's not a lot of, well, challenge. not all these stories have to be saving the universe. Exactly. Sometimes it's just, I, I want to get a small business loan. No, wait. I, I mean, that doesn't sound <laughs> epic, but, but somebody's character could absolutely do that in this scenario. And it's a, it's a good, I'll, I'll do my best to tweet it. If I can, do some more research or ask the guy that was running the game, but I couldn't find it before the episode, but there are, are a wide array of games like this. So now a question I have for you. Yeah. I'm a guy, I've got a group of friends and you know, we've played some tabletop games, but I'm interested in, you know, just starting a D I don't have an experience and they don't have an experience. How, How do I get a group of people that just, haven't thought about this before to play. So I think somebody has to have the passion. I mean, that's the first thing. And I would encourage anybody who's listening to this, if you've ever wanted to tell a story or, or you know, kind of liked, even if it's not your story, um, there are plenty of resources that'll help you do that. Uh, how do you get people interested? I think t- examples of what we're doing right now is how you get people interested. We talk about it, you know, we got to destigmatize it because guess what? I've played with some of the most physically adept, socially adept people in the world. I mean, you can't get a whole lot more physically adept than a bunch of U.S. Marines. And we spent hours playing these games. And it wasn't because we didn't have the ability to go out and, you know, corrals on the town, you know, get dates or what have you. Um, I'm trying to be neutral here because this is still somewhat kid-friendly podcast. Uh, we could have done, gone out and done the stupid stuff that Marines do when they have too much free time. We chose to sit around and have a shared experience. And, and again, these people who still, if you, if I run into them today and I have these conversations with them, we have the shared experience that nobody else has. And it has this emotional trigger for us. So tell the stories about games. Talk about these things with your friends. And honestly, the D&D basic rules, the basic set, starter set, 
the Pathfinder beginner box, the Star Wars beginner sets. All of those things are really built to help you get into the game and to set up a story. And it takes a lot of that work off your shoulders. You don't have to be the guy or gal who in, comes with a full concept straight springing from your from your forehead like, you know, Athena from Zeus. You you just get put yourself out there a little bit. And if you're not comfortable, that's okay. What would you say to somebody that uh, they don't like to pretend? Or they have a hard time doing any sort of you know, maybe they're they're pretty straight laced. They sort of live in reality. They don't, um, you know, like the stories they like to hear are a little more grounded in reality. I should say. So there are absolutely settings that fit that. Um, going back and again, I'm, I'm not plugging these products, but uh, one version of Dungeons and Dragons or two versions of Dungeons and Dragons ago, Dungeons and Dragons 3.5. Right, we're on edition fifth edition now. Uh, they released a setting called D20 Modern, which was the same rules, but it was set for modern settings. And it allowed you to play like a Buffy the Vampire Slayer type characters. Or you could play, you know, corporate spies. Or you could play, you know, James Bond. You could do all of those things with these rules. Rules are just a framework. Setting and story are all built around you. And there is a story or setting that will meet anybody's needs out there. Um, so if you're somebody who doesn't like to be imaginative, if you kind of classify yourself that way, I would challenge that. We all have a need for some sort of creativity. And even if it's not about you, even if you're just there to be that guy who's rolls the dice and makes very basic decisions, you'll get something out of the interaction with the other people in the room. Okay. With that said, I think we'll wrap up our main topic and move into our next section, which is our one dumb thing. Yeah, this week's one dumb thing is Alan Wake. You familiar Alan with this game? I am. It's it like the, the game with flashlights. It's adult Luigi's Mansion. <laughs> <laughs> That's I've made that joke like five times. Um, so this is a game that came out for Xbox and uh, PC. Mm-hmm. It's going bye bye. Wasn't it a Microsoft exclusive originally? Yeah, it was like Remedy Entertainment. I Remedy. Think. Yeah. Yep. So it's it's leaving stores on May fifteenth. Is there any reason for that? Why? We don't know. Probably licensing. Yeah, I'm sure it's licensing, but but again, this is a good game. But we I haven't seen it. this with a lot of games that have gone or that are long out of print that are digitally available. They don't usually go away. Yeah. Um, so it's surprising and this is going to lead into another episode we're going to do at some point, but, uh, you know, games like this, it's, it's, it's weird. Uh, wasn't there just... even supposed to be a sequel to that game? Yeah, there oh. was, there was like a American dreams or nights or something that was okay. like a side story, but you know, games like this can just disappear at any point in time. And if you don't have a print media, like if you don't have a physical copy, it's you're unable to get the game through legitimate means. So are you saying that if I purchased it digitally, I won't be able to play it? No, if you've purchased it, good for you. You've got it. Okay. The stores will, will let you. Remain. But if at some point later you figure out, hey, I'd like to maybe try that game, it's going to be not going to be there. Huh. So you know, we're this is going to lead. Is this into... just another example of the Disney Vault? 
Uh, no, I don't think so. But I mean, this is this is goes into a grander scheme as we move into a more digital world. Um, you know, there was the story. Do you own anything? Zoom. Yeah, Zoom. Do you own anything? Exactly. You know, when you purchase an ebook, is it going to be there forever? You know, there there are instances where people have pulled things from devices. Uh, the per- perfect example is PT. Mm-hmm. Um, which was a playable trailer or demo for what was going to be Silent Hills. Um, it's gone. If you downloaded it, great. You, if you ever downloaded it, you can't download it again. And I moved PlayStations, even though I've technically purchased the title. I can't get it again. Yeah. It won't exist through legitimate means. Wow. Um. And that's that's the problem. So this is the nightmare of everybody who's been talking about digital management for the last 20 years. Yeah. So that's my one dumb thing. It's a good game. Uh, if you listen to this before May 15th, I recommend getting it before they take it off shelves. I think Steam's already having a sale on it. Yes, they did say they were going to have a big sale. But it is dumb. It's just dumb. Hmm. So. All right. Um, any final thoughts, Sean? I don't know that I can add much more to what I just spent the last hour talking about. I, I guess my final thought is um, what we think every, and I've talked about this before is just forget what you know about things and, and enter things with an open mind. And I would say, especially with role-playing games, I can't see a scenario where they're not applicable for everybody. I think they are a good team building exercise. It would be, Absolutely interesting to see some sort of role-playing game in a corporate scenario for team building. Oh, they happen all the time, Do actually. They? Yes. I've run uh, incident response training using role-playing. That's interesting. And we see therapists using role-playing in group sessions more and more now when you talk about team dynamics. You know, when we talk about video games or role-playing games as escapism, you know, again, like Sean said, there's the stigma of well they don't live in reality right they don't want to live in reality they want to live off in a fantasy land and honestly that's not true i mean they don't people don't do this to escape reality entirely they do it to just find some enjoyment with something that's not their normal day-to-day stuff sometimes it's also about changing the way you view or or think about a problem Exactly. Becoming orthogonal to your solution that you normally would do. Because you take yourself out of your own head and you try and think about it from some... It's this whole concept of empathy. It's a strange thing, right? Yeah. You know, if if I think about what my partner would do or my adversary would do, and I try and figure out what their options if I were in their shoes, right? We talk about this a lot in society. You know, if you could walk a mile in someone else's shoes... If you humanize them. Well, there's the other piece, right? <laughs> everybody has everybody thinks that they're the hero of their own story. Right. And they make choices based on their own experiences. So so anyway. I think it plays perfectly into role playing. So well, that being said, thank you for listening for another episode from us. We're gonna be back next week and I'm gonna give you a little hint. Wink wink. We're gonna be talking about roguelikes. Yeah, it's gonna be a little random. Is it? No. Well, I think oh, okay. Shut up. <laughs> So thanks for listening. Again, like Sean said, you can follow us at four score seven pongs on Twitter or four score seven pongs on Facebook, or just tweet us or Facebook us and let us know what you want to hear. And uh, we'll see you next time.
Got my 12-sided die, and I'm ready to roll with the wizard and my goblin crew. My friends are coming over to my mom's basement, bringing Funyuns and the Mountain Dew. I got a big broad sword made out of cardboard, and that stereo's a pumpkin zeppelin. It's that time of the night, we turn on the black light, let the dungeons and the dragons begin. It's DNT! Fight with the legends of yore, it's DNT!